Hello, welcome back to another episode of Crowdworkcast. My name is Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, this week, I have an episode for you uh, that was supposed to be next week's episode, actually. Um, this week, it was supposed to be Ray Badrin, uh, who's a mate of mine and a very, very funny man. However, um, some point between uh, copying the, the file from the recorder to the computer, I managed to lose the file completely and I have no idea where it is or how to get it back. Uh, so unfortunately, we're going to have to put that episode on the back burner till either one, I find the file, or two, uh, I am able to uh, corner Ray and get him to sit down and record another episode. So uh, hopefully I'll have a Ray Badrin episode for you soon. Uh, but do not despair because uh, in lieu of Ray, we've actually got a, uh, a fantastic episode this week anyway. Uh, this was, as I said, going to be next week's episode, the one just before Christmas. Um, so you'll hear me reference that actually in the episode, but um, we got a real treat. Uh, this, uh, this week, we've got former LA Comedian of the Year, Al Del Benny, uh, in the house, um, literally in my house. We recorded it in my house, this one. So uh, we're back on the normal recording equipment. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was a fun chat. We chat a little about, uh, his, uh, his life growing up in Boston, how Christmas is a little different, uh, this side of the equator to, uh, to where he grew up, but, uh, it was a good, good chat. We had a good time. Uh, he's a lovely guy. So, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it. Uh, please check out this episode. Enjoy this episode, I should say. You're already checking it out. Uh, this is episode 16 with Al Del Benny. G'day, buddy. What's your name? <laughs> My name's Al Del Benny. Al Del Benny. Yeah. I can hear from uh, your voice there, Al. You're not from around here, are you, mate? No, no. I'm not from around these parts. I grew You're up from... in Manly. Yeah. I was uh, <laughs> the northern beaches. I can hear that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely north of here. Um, northern Hemisphere, mate. I grew up in, in Boston, Massachusetts, United Boston. States of America. Boston. So... You've been in here a little while now. Yeah, three years in February. It'll three be. years? Yeah. Wow. Imagine that. Yeah. God. And you haven't changed that silly accent at all. A little bit. A I little find bit that, well, it, like you might not notice, but at home I've, I've made concessions, like, because I have little kids. So, um, you know, I will say tomato sauce uh, instead of ketchup or even tomato sauce. I'll say tomato sauce because that's what they say. Wow. I know. I, I don't think I, I'll never say banana because that just, just doesn't feel right. It's always going to be banana. But I think tomato sauce is the biggest concession I've made. Um, wow. Yeah. Never let it be said you won't compromise, mate. Yeah. And g'day. I, I like g'day. G'day is great. Yeah. Yeah. G'day is um, tomato sauce. See, I've got, I've got a, um, I had a relative who married a, married a sepo years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, married an American guy years <laughs> ago. And they call their children half and half. Half and half. That's yeah. funny. So they're, they're um, which is a type of milk over there too. Here you just wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's half and half, and it's not. It's yeah. Well, it's half cream and half milk, and it's for coffee. That's all you use it for is for coffee. Um, Man, yeah. It's, coffee oh, it's seriously. so good. Really? So, oh, half and half. Yeah, of course. It's so good in coffee. It's like, I'm telling you, you need to get it. I just yeah. use full fat milk now, though. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, you couldn't tell. You kept him lean, mate. Oh yeah, thanks. They reckon that's the that's a new thing though. That maybe we shouldn't stay away from the fats. Well, yeah, they're saying now that it's sugar. Sugar causes heart disease, and that the sugar industry really, uh, you know, 
put a kibosh on things in the 70s. Yeah, I see. I, I can see that sugar, like I, I buy the first part that sugar maybe causes the heart disease. Yeah. But when, when people start ascribing agendas to it, that's when I'm just like, ah, oh, they just wanted to sell sugar. They weren't really trying to. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. They Yeah, well, they were just trying to keep it quiet so they could sell. Yeah. but the, And that was the funny thing was that when you make stuff low fat, you have to add sugar to it to thicken it. Um, to give it the same consistency it had. So that's why we're all dying. But we're going to die anyway. Might as well. I mean, that's the weird thing is we're all living longer than we've ever lived in history. Exactly. Even though the, we're being poisoned slowly. So it doesn't, whatever. And obesity as a problem is like as a society, if you're going to have a problem, obesity is pretty yeah, good. Yeah. That's a good one to have. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than starving or. Yeah. The or, other. or, you know, the plague. The plague. I suppose. <laughs> Remember the plague? Ugh. Those were the days, man. That's um, it's a, I, I read a thing that that that's partly to do with our because of our cultural our shared cultural history. Um, you know how they talk about that those things uh, are passed down over generations. Is the plague, and um, that is basically why so many people just have this real guttural reaction to rats still to this day because of the plague. Because of the plague, because they carried the plague, and so it's oh, sort wow. of ingrained in you. And like when you think about um. Like different children's stories and that that are passed down. Yeah, rodents never have a good um, role ah, in any of those things. It was to teach people, yeah, yeah. teach people to keep away because of the plague. Yes. Wow. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I, I learned years ago that um, you guys, I think you guys say it differently here, but there's that ring around the rosy nursery rhyme is about yep. the plague. A pocket full of posies. Yeah. Yep. Um, ashes, ashes, because that's from the bodies burning. Ashes, ashes. Yeah. yeah we don't go that dark. What do you say? Ring a ring a rosy, a pocket full of posy, a tissue, a tissue will oh, fall down. So they they they're sneezing. Yeah, we're yeah. not burning them before they yeah, die. Yeah, we say man. ring around the rosy, which is apparently that's the mark you would get on your face, or or like you'd get these marks oh. that had these rings around, and they were red. Like that was yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. So ring around the rosy, a pocket full of posy was supposed to what keep you safe from the plague or something. Yeah, ashes, ashes, because the bodies were burning. We all fall down because we're dying. Um, go play, children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's um. That probably started as a um. You know, you know, like when you watch horror movies and the kids are the the evil children in a horror movie. That's the scariest thing. Yeah, it's like these kids. Let's scare mum and dad, and it sort of caught on. Like, oh, what a lovely little, <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely little nursery rhyme. Mm. I um. So this episode is gonna be just before Christmas. This is gonna go. Oh, on. I'm glad we're going going so happy then. Plague and yeah. death and ashes. Yeah, good. So Christmas. I was I was interested because you did grow up in Boston. Boston. Yeah. First off, what did you actually sound like growing up? Because this isn't this isn't this it. isn't it. I got rid of it. I have trouble going back because it's I I, I fought so hard to get rid of it. it it's just. Um, it's a bit Australian, but it's 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 different. We drop our R's like Australians, but in a different way. I, I can't describe it. It's just you know, it's hard, hard. It's hard, you know. And and we drop our like you would say what, what you guys do is like if there's an R in a word, say like fork, you'd say say fork, fork, fork. Yeah, we say fuck, or f- <laughs> f- fuck, fuck. Like I can't even do it anymore. Like it almost sounds yeah. like fuck. But but not yeah. quite, um, you know. F- f- I can't even do it. Fuck. And but like things like words like hair have two syllables. Haya, look at your haya. Fix your haya. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I I don't even. Why did you get rid of it though? Because it sounded horrible. I I remember growing up and and seeing people like on the local news, and they would like into you know there'd be something happening that interview somebody on the street, 
And they'd be like, oh, well, I, you know, and I looked over there and, you know, there was this guy and I just couldn't. I was like, oh, that sounds like when it was on television, it sounded harsh and, and just weird. It's, it's like, I suppose, when you're like, I've, I noticed when I was overseas and you'd hear in a crowd an Australian accent. Yeah. It, it's, it does sound like if you're in somewhere just full of Americans, the Australian accent to me yeah. uh, does sound jarring, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose it's a similar thing. So, and because most of the TV accents, are they just, is it a generic Midwest accent that they try and... Not Midwest, because that's weird too. There's, there's like, um, it's not, I would say like, uh, yeah, there's, what's that word? There's a word for that. Where like newscasters will use yeah. the the central accent or whatever I forget the word for it but yeah I I, th- I think it's probably like um uh, I think it's standard that's what it is standard American accent um and it's sort of somewhere between Midwest and Californian because Californians even a bit too their R's are almost too hard mm. um so it's somewhere right in the middle there that's what I've always thought about Americans is very um very fastidious when it comes to pronouncing every letter in the word. Yeah. Like that Central American accent. Like they, they don't really, they don't drop a whole lot off, except <laughs> in aluminium. Well, that's a whole other, see, that's, the, here's, here's a whole other word. That's, let me, yeah, it's a whole, it's spelled differently. It sounds almost exactly the same. Yeah, it's a, it's spelled differently. It's a whole word. Both are acceptable. Um, shut no, your mouth. they're not. No, they are. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, look it up. Yeah. Aluminum. Up. Aluminum. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. But yeah, that's it's it's, just easier to say. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Aluminum. It's so much easier than aluminium. Yeah. No. No. This is just turned into an argument over pronunciation. <laughs> it's a good pod. Aluminum. Yeah. Uh, so now you've been in Australia three years. Yes, almost. So, and have you been here for every Christmas you've yeah since you've been out? Yeah. How do you? Because I, I was thinking about this today. Yeah. Like I went for it a, like we're as we're recording this. I think today it's getting to thirty five, and it was eighty five percent humidity outside. Yeah. Um. Beautiful pre Christmas weather. Yeah. Probably, probably not what you grew up with. No, not at all. But I don't mind. I don't mind warm weather for Christmas. But because um, even when I lived in LA, the weather was fine for Christmas. But it's still. I like it to be in winter because even when you're in LA, the weather's fine, but it still gets dark at five thirty. You know, so there's that winter feel, mm-hmm. um, and there's something about like my. It's so weird because a lot of times I'll find myself subconsciously forgetting what month it is because I know it's holiday season, but it's fucking summertime, and I just can't. And I'm like, is it July? Is it November? Like I can't. My mind goes wacky sometimes, um, and I do, I gotta say I don't like it. I don't like Christmas in summer. It doesn't have. It doesn't feel like Christmas. Um, I can look around your your house and I see your tinsel and your Christmas balls, but it doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> Apologies, I'll pull my shorts up. There's, <laughs> there's no Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving ushers in the Christmas season in the states, and it's a great holiday, and I miss it a lot. So, and even I tried. We tried the first two years to do like our Thanksgiving, and it just I gave up because I'm like, this is just futile. This yeah. is just depressing. Um, so yeah, I just there's nothing can compare to that sort of christmas and winter kind of feel you need it so now growing up so you grew up in boston yeah up in the northeast now that's snow lots of snow lots of snow tons of snow now as growing up watching just watching tv american all the american christmas programs yeah i kind of just assumed that by christmas it was it was snowing well uh, yeah where christmas. i where i lived almost definitely Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I wondered how common that was—that actual white Christmas. Is that like a fairy tale? Like, is that 
No, it's fairly common. I mean, January and February are, are harsh winter months, but so December, like the end of December, you're most likely going to get snow. But it, it, I'd say it was probably like 85% of the Christmases there. Oh, wow. <laughs> had snow. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes just buttloads. There was a blizzard of 1978. I was six years old. And um, um, I remember like after they, because they, it took them a while, but they plowed the streets. So the snow gets all pushed to the sides of the road. And I remember my brother walking down on, on top of a snowbank. Uh, touching all the street lamps as he was going down. That's how high the snowbanks were. Um, Holy dooly. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, uh, it was amazing. And then there was another blizzard uh, in the 2000s. Again, they got another three feet of snow. So it happens every once in a while. Boston will get whacked with a nor'easter. And uh, and it's, we're all done. But but it, it was great. And I, I remember this feeling of like after a fresh snow, because it would, it would always be something like that. It would be something around a foot. It would just get dumped on. And... Um, and like being a little kid, because you had to wait till till your parents got you dressed so you could go outside and play in the snow, and just looking out the window in the backyard, and and like wanting to be the first one to put footprints out there, just like ah, ah, like you you had to get out first so you could play in the pristine snow before it got all wrecked. Like that was like a thing. It was like a, a an anxiety that I had. Just you, like ah, I got to get out there before my brothers and sisters. And so this is this is like did a snow days. How common were they? Very common, yeah, yeah. Oh, and they yeah. were awesome. You just we had two systems. Like we would be we'd listen to the radio, would have the TV on. I was the youngest of five kids, so I like learned how to how to do all this stuff from them. And then there was a um I wonder if they still do it. In the town I grew up in, Arlington, Massachusetts, like six miles outside of Boston, there was a um the f- in the center of town there was a firehouse and it had um I guess it was a horn. And it would beep every morning. You could hear it through the whole town. It would go off every morning at uh, 7.15. And then I think again at 7.15 at night for some reason. I don't know what that tradition was. But if school was called off, it would go off continuously. So basically say, hey, guys. And you would go, yeah, like, yay. School's called off. Stay in bed. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. We're going to wake you up to tell you to stay in bed. Yeah. Yeah. Don't um, get up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, those were like awesome days. It was just because you could just go out and play, and you know, I was too young to shovel yet, and it was just great. Too young to shovel. Yeah, because shoveling snow was a was a thing. Like my, you know, my father had a bad heart, so he couldn't do it, uh, and my brothers and sisters would do it. And then once they all moved out, it was my job um, to shovel the snow because it was. I mean, that's a an ordeal. When uh, when a foot of snow is dropped and you have to clear your you know your front stairs, your back stairs, the driveway, and the sidewalk in front of your house, it takes a couple hours and it's hard work because snow is fucking heavy. See, that's the thing. I probably just wouldn't go outside. Well, you it's I think you have to at least clear your footpath because in front of your house because that's the law. So how how funny do you find it when it rains for three days in Sydney and people just won't leave the house? Well, like, I, I got used to that because that's what happens in L.A. But it rains a lot more in Sydney than it does in L.A. Like. Um, in LA, whenever it rained, it makes the news. It was really hilarious coming from the East Coast. And it was like, you know, there's water falling from the sky. Like every time it happened, they had, they, and people would get all erratic on the roads. And, and, and in their defense, the roads do get slippery in LA when it rains because it hardly ever rains. So when it does, like these weird uh, oils come up from the yeah. asphalt and all actually the crap do, that's yeah. on the road that sort of quasi dried up. Yeah, it actually does make it more slick. So, um, and I, I, I did, I did uh, have a spin out one day, one day on the highway. Um, I, I just kind of fishtailed a bit, and there was, and the only reason I did it because I was swerved to miss a guy who was fully in like a huge SUV, fully. 
just doing 360s down the highway, <laughs> like out of, but like in a straight line, but just spinning as he went. And I, th- I think he caught himself and corrected it, but, and I swerved to get out of his way and I started fishtailing and I was like, this is how it ends. This is it. Um, but I, I caught myself and whatever, but yeah, it's, um, so when it rains out here, I don't, I, I get mad when I have to take my kids to drop my kids off at school and it's pouring out. I'm like, there should be another way. Like, I just hate the fact it's still so archaic to me. We're putting on plastic clothing to go outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, uh, it is. like, and the umbrella hasn't changed in. Yeah. I think about that quite a bit. Years. There has to be a new way. To do that, I, I saw an ad for this one, and I was like, "Why hasn't someone done that before?" That is designed to, so you know how you you put it up and it, yeah. it goes over, right? And then to put it back down, you you it squeezes down and it comes down so that all the the wet parts on the outside. Yeah, right. So this one, um, the design is you pull, you keep pulling it through so it goes up, and the wet parts then on the inside, and it's so it's twice as long essentially. Right, but. If you're going inside or getting in the car, then all the water is in that in the bit, yeah, bit, and yeah. You just turn it up, let it out, and then then you're good. Yeah. So, or and if you're getting in a car too, you can sort of do it so you can slide through the door. And I was right. like, why hasn't anyone thought of that before? Right. Well, they just did, I guess. Yeah, it's it's one of those. As but already, as you describe things. it, I go, I wouldn't even want that. It already sounds too complicated. It, it, I'm, I'm describing it poorly. I I, um, <laughs> I saw one that I thought was a good idea, but. Um, was it a Kickstarter? Somebody invented like an like an electronic umbrella that basically um, pushed air, like somehow, and and created like an air uh, an air pocket around you. But the only thing was it literally lasted like seven minutes because it had to create such a powerful airstream that the battery only lasted like seven or ten minutes. And so I don't think it'll ever really take off unless they can. unless Dyson get onto it. Yeah, that Dyson, guy. and then that it'll cost a thousand dollars. He does, and it never loses suction. Yeah. Um, yeah, but those... Do you own a Dyson vacuum? I own... Yes, we own a, the big one, and we own like wow. one of those stick things. Man, do you? did you hit the lotto? No, my wife just... I don't know. She loves Dyson. I, I, I would... I'm interested in getting one, but I just... Every time I'm like 750 bucks, I go, I've just... I can't take the chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that I'm not even going to like it. Because 750 bucks to me... Is like something awesome. Like I could get a huge television. Like to buy something boring like a vacuum, I'm like sixty nine bucks at Aldi. That's the most I'm willing to spend on something like yeah. that. That's just the way Aldi. my mind works, huh? I don't shop at Aldi. I can't do that. I, I just it's it's too weird for me. It's, I, like I think too many great um, Australians and Americans fought hard to win the Cold War mm. so that we didn't have to shop at places <laughs> like Aldi. You know what I mean? I think you're right. And and I agree with you. Although I go there, it's convenient to where I live. My mother-in-law swears by it. So when I first moved here, I was sort of indoctrinated into it. But three years later, it's like I sneak off to Coles and stuff now. Yeah. because. And my wife kind of gets mad with me because you, you do save money at Aldi. Like the consumerist American patriot you are. Yeah, exactly. Like Aldi does, I think you do save money. But I go, is, is, is my depression worth the seven exactly. cents I just saved? Because it is, you're right. It's a bit depressing. For those who don't know what it is, it's like a kind of a warehouse, but small. And it's just, yeah, it's a weird experience. Well, the other thing too, because my father-in-law is way into it. Yeah. And uh, he, he loves it. But he talks about, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't go always get everything you want. So then you go there, you save your money. And then he goes and gets the odds and ends from another supermarket. Yeah. I'm like, my time 
is worth enough for me just to go to one place, one place where I know I can get stuff. Everything, yeah. And it's this like because the the weird trading in and trading out of different things, like you know, oh, this week we've got blower vax and next right, week right. We've got, it's like oh, I don't, I don't and need the that. fact that you have to, um, for instance, my mother in law wants a soda stream for Christmas, and Aldi's going to have them on Wednesday. But I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to like make a special <sighs> trip. I'm gonna drop the kids off from school and run to it before they sell out because that's what happens at this place. Is people line up like weirdos, mm. like it's an iPhone. Not that that's any less weird, but Mate, I'll line up for certain things. Um, but if you're lining up at an Aldi, there's a certain type of person you have to line up for. Right. Line up with. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. I, I've been known to stand eight deep at a bar to get a drink. Yeah. But exactly. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's. I'm at a bar, and all those people are interested in drinking too. The you're already of, there. The yeah. kind of people that are getting up early to go to Aldi. That's yeah. Yeah. Before they sell out of purple uh, sleeping bag slash tent. Yeah, exactly. Whatever the hell they're yeah. Some weird Swedish brand that no like that not even IKEA stock. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. When IKEA are like, yeah, that's too weird for us. Yeah, I got a TV from Aldi. It was a Gavulda Herc. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't get a TV from Aldi. But um No wait, Kogan, you're in Australia now. Exactly. Kogan mate. Uh I do like <laughs> I like Kogan. It's like the Amazon.com of Australia. Yeah, it yeah. Is, with one lunatic guy uh, running it and seventy-eight promotional emails a day. Did you um? Have you are you are you aware of the guy who started Kogan? Uh, wasn't it two brothers or something? Yeah, it's just well, it's just one the main dude. But I, I I found out about him when him and Jerry Harvey were just going at it online. Who's Jerry Harvey? Jerry Harvey's the guy that Harvey owns Norman. Harvey Norman. Okay, <laughs> yeah, and uh, does not like just Jerry Harvey did not like the whole online thing at all. His <laughs> online retailers and he's blowing up. They're not paying GST and all this sort oh, of yeah. stuff like he is, and it's just too hard for a for a billionaire like him. Yeah, um, to keep making his money. Which, and in fairness, Jerry Harvey like those Harvey Norman. They employ a lot of people, and it's important to keep going. But it's um, they were just. But he just kept calling him, basically just calling him out, like calling him old and oh, <laughs> just right. trolling him. It was oh, uh, that's awesome. It was hilarious. And it's true. I mean, like, there is that argument to be made. Like, you know, I think about this because of the American election and stuff. And it's all about jobs and jobs and jobs. And, and yeah, that's important. But times are changing and you can't, you, you, you just can't. You yeah. can't, you know, it's like, oh, these brick and mortar stores can't keep going. Like, well, oh, the online level is killing us. Well, Step up, stupid. Like, no one, you know, in a way, it's better because I'm not leaving my house. I'm not using petrol to get to your place and come back and blah, blah, blah. And it's whatever. So, like, yeah. You know. Well, you think about the whale oil traders. Yeah. When, uh, when we went to gas lamps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ah. it's like you, 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 at, certain, at a certain point, progress has to, has, has to win out. Has to win out. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I, it, it is interesting. Like, I do. I do now, like I've, um, like I said, I'll shop at the big supermarkets, but yeah. every now and then it does strike me like, hey, the price of that hasn't gone really gone up in ten years. Yeah, someone's producing it. How's this happening? And you just gotta, you gotta wonder, like, and don't get me wrong, like I'll still enjoy my paying as little as possible, but right. you got to do, you do kind of wonder how they can keep managing to do that. Right. Yeah. Like it's how to just keep it. The same yeah. price for 10 years. Yeah, someone's got to be making less at a certain point. Oh, probably. Yeah, especially in America. It, it's like, I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, that I left was um, 
my wife was like, you know, oh, the, the minimum wage in Australia is 20 bucks an hour. And not yeah. that I wanted a minimum wage job, but I just went, oh, that's how you treat people. Yes. Um, you know, because we have something in the States called the, the working homeless. They have 40 hour, They have a full-time job, and they can't afford a friggin' house or, 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 or rent or anything. So they're living out of their cars. And it's just like, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Having, having to have more than one job, one full-time Like, if you've got a full-time job, yeah. that should just... You don't have to be... Like, I'm not saying that you should be able to live like the life of Riley. Right. But you should be able to meet the basic standards exactly. of living. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing with... if Which is a cell phone, internet connection, huge yeah. screen television, two cars... Good, good phone plan. You yeah. Forgot that. <laughs> yeah. Unlimited plan. data plan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> iPad, iPhone. Not animals, my friend. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, they're, they're not to be able to have a house, that's just, that's outrageous. One, one of the things that got me too when I was visiting <clears> the States <throat> is the tipping. Um, yeah, the tipping which culture. Is the tipping culture, it's for, I, I no issue with tipping, but the idea that, that a bartender was making, you know, five, six bucks an hour. Right. And then relying the rest on tips. As that to me is like, okay, you know, the, and when I talk to them about it, they go, oh, no, it's good because sometimes you can make 200 bucks in a night. I was yeah. Like, yeah, but what, when you get the Tuesday night when it's right. snowing and no one's in. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens And then? I think five, six bucks an hour is generous because when I was a waiter, I, I, I never strictly bartended, but I think the most I made as a waiter... When I, I should clarify, when I was non-union, I became a union waiter in New York, and that was better. But I, it was literally like two eighty an hour, and that's just to offset. That's just to pay your taxes. So you get so basically, you make tips all week. You report those tips, um, and then the two, you, then you get a check for like a dollar because they have just taken your taxes out of the two eighty an hour. Um, oh my god, that's and, outrageous! Yeah, 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 and it, and it, it depends on the place, but. Well, the way it works for the consumer, I mean, the restaurant tours or tiers or whatever that word is, the guys who own the restaurant are making a killing. Yeah. Um, obviously, it, it makes no difference to the consumer because what I found is living in Australia, you, you're basically paying the same amount because in when you look at a menu in the States, things look a lot cheaper. But then, because tax isn't included on any price in the States. That drove me nuts. Yeah. So, so you're adding tax and tip to that, which is another 20%, 25% if you're a good tipper, um, including tax. So you're, you end up paying the same as you pay. Here, when you look at a menu, you think, crap, this is expensive. But the end result is the same because you're not tipping in the taxes included on what you're reading in the menu. Now, the people who own the restaurant aren't making as much money because they're paying their wait staff a livable wage. But also, um, uh, the wait staff... And I do notice this, especially in the Northern Beaches for some reason. The waitstaff have no incentive to sort of be up your ass and serving you, um, which isn't a bad thing because sometimes when you go to the States, you feel a bit rushed because they it's called turn and burn. Mm. They, it's like, let's get people in and out so I can make more money. So it's like, are you done? Are you finished? Can you get the, tip me and get that get out so the next table can come in here and tip me? Um, and, and then here, they sort of leave you alone and it takes a while. But if you're in a hurry, it's a bit, it's a bit like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Um, but in, I found in the States, I remember we, I went with a group of people um, when we were in New York. We went to you know, have lunch or dinner somewhere. Yeah. And there was, um, they had, they put a mandatory, mandatory gratuity. Oh, for six or more, for right? For six or more. Yeah. But because um, there was, I think it was a few Australians, a couple of Kiwis and whatever. They knew, like obviously in New York, they know that the Australians and the Kiwis and that aren't used to tipping. Right. So they know we're not going to 
they sort of, I think they just thought we weren't going to tip big anyway. Yeah. So we got the shittest service oh. and then they chucked it like a 25% mandatory gratuity on That it. sounds a lot. Maybe it was 20%. Yeah. Well, yeah. we were, um, we weren't happy. Yeah. As yeah. it was. But yeah, it was, it was just weird. But uh, to see, cause I, that blows my mind. Cause right. to my mind that it's the restaurant to, if you're going to employ someone, that's your responsibility to pay them. Right, and I don't know. I'd I'd love to find, figure out where that started in America. Who was the one who went? I heard a thing that it started. Um, it was Jimmy Tipperman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> started the tip. I got the best idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I heard that it started as a um, uh, as uh, sort of by piecemeal during the depression. So that all these guys uh, that couldn't get jobs, so that they'd there'd be guys sort of eating out at tables right and then so then you know they might be on the footpath or whatever or in the outdoor area right and the guys so they'd they'd start just go i'll clear these plates you know if you i'll clear your plates if you tip you know so it sort ah, of became okay. that sort of a God. so we're still like so yeah. that system is in place because people were it's genius starving though. it's genius for the business owner oh it definitely is you yeah. don't take any of the risk of having a quiet night like in terms of labor costs right. you're not taking on the risk of oh, yeah. I, I rostered three people and there wasn't as many people here as we thought yeah because i'm paying them 280 an hour yeah yeah no totally it's it's yeah wow that's insane but oh well yeah so anyway back to back to i want i want to hear about these these white christmases and that sort of tradition is it like the tv suggests it the, can be the big, the big Christmas traditions and oh yeah, well it depends on your family. Like I, I, I got both. Like um, I won't get into it too deeply, but um, my my father uh, when he was alive, he he was part of he he, he was had uh, he was one of fifteen children. So my cousin situation yeah. is enormous. I'm guessing Boston. I'm guessing Irish Catholic. Uh no, Italian Catholic. Italian Catholic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and um, I so knew it was Catholic at the exactly. end. Exactly. <laughs> exactly so so the italians like christmas eve was immense christmas eve was almost bigger than christmas really the dinner just like this this whole table we're sitting at here it yep. would, would just been just overflowing with food seafood and anything and 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 good seafood in boston too oh yeah it? just insanity man and just so much family and um and it was funny because after my father died my mother tried to like sort of keep that up for a few years but it was just impossible um so it slowly went away and then um and it was a bit depressing for me because i used to love it and then when i moved it wasn't until i moved out to la where i reconnected with uh because i had i had a few of my father's uh brothers and sisters moved out to california back in like the 60s so i had a lot of cousins and, and family out there and they kept those traditions going so when i moved to la it, it was like on again. And I was like, Oh God, I remember this. And like, my wife just couldn't believe, you know, she's Australian and she just was like, Oh my God, like this is insane. And like, we would sit for Christmas dinner, not to you know, forget about Christmas Eve. We'd sit for Christmas dinner or Christmas lunch. And, um, you know, you'd sit and like lasagna would come out and stuffed shells and, you know, vegetables and all this stuff. And you'd eat a, a full meal and they would clear that, and then turkey and ham and and the and the whole next level and my oh. wife like she was like what what's going on here, um, and it was just nice to see that like see like an Anglo having to deal with, um, what it made me feel good just like, ah yeah see this is what we do, um, 
And it was it's full on like that. It's like it's it's uh it's awesome. Yeah. That but but fantastic. that's if your family is like that. I, I spent many years not having that and just sort of growing up the way probably a lot of Americans do, where it's like Christmas kind of blows because everyone else if you know, there's this pressure to be festive, but your family's kinda like you know, there's other yeah. stuff going on here. We're dealing with our own lives. Um so yeah, so I got both, which is you know, probably cool that I got to experience um, you know, maybe uh how poor people live yeah um but have you have you have you you got into any of the australian sort of christmas traditions like what like i don't know you live on the northern but you've been to the beach on christmas day yeah a lot of people do that what i've realized is i'm not really a beachy person i used to like the beach but now (laughs) that i live right there I, i i take it fully for granted and i never go and my kids and my wife go all the time. And I tend to hang back because I go, well, if you guys are going, this is the only time I'm going to have alone today. So yeah. you guys go enjoy the beach. I'm going to sit here and have watch television or have a nap or whatever else. Yeah, nice. That requires cleaning up afterwards. <laughs> um, Make yeah. yourself a sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, fix a sandwich. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't. I, where was I? That I, was, I was at that gig. Someone asked oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fixing sandwiches. That's, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, the guy uh, said, how do you fix a sandwich? And I thought it was a riddle. Um, and let me say on this podcast, what I said to him was, You're, that's Midwestern. We've never said that in, mm. in Boston. It's never, let's fix a sandwich. Um, if anything, yeah, it's kind of Australian. My, my father would call them sandwiches. Yep. Um, and you wouldn't fix it. Yeah, it was, you know, make me a sandwich. Um, yeah, so whenever you're making fun of Americans, I, I would assume that for the most part, you're making fun of the middle of the country. The coasts aren't, their coasts are very, because people are uh, emigrating to them, they're very multicultural. So the middle bit is where people have been fixing sandwiches and... I remember talking to an American comic who was out here visiting, uh, this is a while ago now, and he was saying that for him, he said the thing he finds about, um, for LA-based, the thing yeah. he finds about America is he said sometimes it's like a few different countries. Yeah, like he definitely. Said, he said it, for him, it's easier for him to come play in Sydney and people to get his references and know where he's coming from than um, some parts of the South. Oh, yeah, I would agree with like, that. He said it's totally, he said it, it really still feels like they're, they're very different countries, very different cultures. Yeah, definitely. And it's that way in Australia, too, because Australia is as big as the United States geographically. And you go to some of these little country towns and they're, especially me as an American, they're just looking at me with that thing in their eye of like, who do you think you are? We um, saw your top round World War Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had one guy, were you at that show? No, I, I was down, we were down in Tasmania or, um, yeah, somewhere in Tasmania, I forget. And it was a theater show, and I was on, and the dude is. I, I hadn't even said anything yet. Oh, I said, I said hi. Um, I think I might have said hi. I am from America, and this old bloke in the audience goes, and he was some, from somewhere else, obviously, but he lived in Australia. He goes, Warmonger. And warmonger. Went, warmonger. And I went, what? And he went, <laughs> Warmonger, you fucking idiot. And I just. I got mad because I wasn't, there was nothing, and I went, yeah. And in, uh, well, in fairness, just before you went on stage, you were planning a war. So I was planning a war, <laughs> and, and, and it went very well, and it's still going, but it won't go for much longer. Um, no, but I just couldn't, I was like, and, you know, I just, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm an asshole because I'm here trying to make you laugh. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. What yeah, a dummy is, I am. That is a weird... That, see, Anti-Americanism is the... It, for me, it seems to be the only socially acceptable form of racism out there. Yeah, like Peter Mizell talks about that. Yeah, yeah, you can... And he's been here a long time. You can yeah. dump on Americans all you want yeah, and yeah. no one objects. Right. 
And um, it's only because we're on top, like at least for the next few more years, anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's always been acceptable in anything. When when you know you're allowed to make fun of the top pop star, the top comedian, you know, yeah. eventually everybody gets pulled back down. And America's just been on top since World War II, and we'll see how much longer that lasts. Yeah. Well, let's hope it lasts a little bit. I I I, I mean, of, it's better than any alternative, I should think. Anyone else who's vying for that position. Well, we've we've got a lot invested in it at this point as Australians. Like yeah. In terms of, I think that I think you know what I think gets undersold. What Americans maybe undervalue in terms of their influence in the world is their the biggest influence I find is the soft um, influence of the pop culture stuff. I thought but you were going to say the soft porn. Yeah. Um, no. No, no, no. I think you're we don't. I don't. I don't think we underestimate that. I think we know. It's. It's a. I think we. I think the powers that be know that's a powerful um, propaganda tool. Is our pop culture. Yeah. Yeah, because we use it to go look. You can have this life and do. You know, it's just advertising for Western way of life. Yeah, exactly. And we, you know, and and I think we got very surprised when, um, you know. The Middle East went, no, we're not buying it. We went, ah, damn, we were hoping you guys would. See, I think, like, you hear stories about Iran. Yeah. Where, um, you know, and Iran, uh, on the surface, very uh, much, it's a theocracy. They're very much uh, anti-American. But um, then you hear, but like, young kids. travel stories. That, yeah, people that go there, they're, yeah. they're into the same pop culture that basically the rest of the world is now. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it is very much a, they you know the fashions and all that sort of stuff is is all the same as as anywhere else right uh, essentially <laughs> these days yeah like, yeah and so i think like I th- it's interesting that that doesn't translate into something more because it is like still very uh tense yeah yeah what they should do coca-cola should start like you know because now they, they have santa claus and stuff and we should use our our advertising power to be like coke don't stone women for adultery. Um, maybe see if that works. You yeah. know, have a have a coke and a and a husband. Yeah, just um, give her a Pepsi. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She doesn't deserve. She coke. doesn't deserve coke. Um, yeah, just to lighten things up a bit. No, I do think. Um, I, I I don't do know. Re- when I first moved here, I said to my wife, "I go here's my thing," and I I don't I don't know anything about anything, but my gut is um, Australia needs to irrigate the middle of this country, uh, fill it all in. And um, and let the northern and western hemispheres destroy one another, um, which will eventually happen. And Australia will be the next superpower of the of the world. And I'm talking over the next 100, 150 years. But you need to fill in the entire country. You need the population to back it up. Yeah, I, I think um, as the oceans start rising, we're probably going to have to. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, that'll, that'll happen over time. Yeah, the, I remember there was an episode of, what was the, did you ever see the science fiction show Sliders? No sliders where they um, go to alternative dimensions. Okay, I like shows that like that. Dude, um, what's his name? He's a real good looking, dude. dude. The backs of my knees are sweating. <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Mate. Yeah. Um, Merry Christmas. Yeah, exactly. It's it's Christmas. <laughs> what's more, what's more Christmasy than <laughs> knee sweat in the back of your knees? <laughs> um, oh, what was the name? What's his name? He was the guy. He was he played the the footballer that ditches um, the quarterback that ditches Jerry O'Connell. Okay, never would have. Never would have. Anyway, um, but they had one where they'd come to a, um, they'd gone to an alternative dimension where the Northern Hemisphere had basically engaged in uh, thermonuclear war. Yeah, that's. Yeah. And Australia was the only place left unharmed, so it had become a superpower. That's that's what that's my. They stole my idea. Well, How long ago was that? That was. This would have been in the nineties. Oh wow! Yeah. And okay. So I, just I remember, stole their idea. I remember being kind of upset because the one of the the main like sort of. Um, 
you know, so like Jerry was the the adventure guy, and then I think there was a girl that traveled with him. But then there was the like he was like the professor or whatever that had traveled with him. He was like yeah. a Dom DeLuise type. But um, he um, <laughs> and I mean, he didn't look anything like him. Was it just, Quantum Leap? Quantum Leap, mate. That was in the nineties. Sliders mm-hmm. was a movie, I think. Yeah, mate. Anyway, it could be one of those ones that had a different name here too. Oh right. So yeah, you guys do that. But he um, but he he said, oh, you know, yes, the. The, the, they've destroyed the Northern Hemisphere and this backwater Hicksville became the only place. <laughs> like, Settle down, champ. Right, yeah. Get on in Australia. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a little insulting. Um, speaking of wars, and we were touching on the... Do what? you remember the Cola Wars? The what wars? The Cola Wars. Cola Wars, yeah. 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 Pepsi. Pepsi and Coke, of yeah. course. Yeah. You, you're a veteran of the Cola Wars? I am. I'm a vet. I uh, Yeah, I lost a tooth. Did you pick a side? <laughs> Um, Some people my, lost a whole foot. My mother, my mother was a, a a Pepsi person, really. Ever since I can remember, and ever since she can, for some reason, I don't know why, it was her thing. And 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 she actually had to like. I remember she quit Pepsi when I was a kid because it was like she was like addicted to it, um, and like the caffeine in it. And back then, no one thought about those things. It was just like, oh, this is what you do. This is what you drink. This is what they sell. So this is what we have all day long. Yeah. And no one really ever considered like, oh, it's all sugar and caffeine and artificial like. And and once that stuff came out, my mother went, oh, I'm going to quit. And then they came out with Pepsi Free, which was caffeine free Pepsi. So she started drinking that. And um, which is awesome because that's uh, that's all the caffeine, the one bit good thing you can get out of it essentially yeah um is gone and it's just sugar still right just sugar water and um and i remember i have a theory about this and again i know nothing about nothing and i've never looked into it but because in in the states they they switched everything over to corn syrup yes um and and coca-cola like 70s or something wasn't it? uh I, th- I don't know but i remember when coca-cola i don't know if it did in australia coca-cola did this thing in the states where they rebranded as new coke Yes. And they changed their formula to taste more like Pepsi, is what they said. And um, is this when Bill Co- Bill Cosby was their spokesperson? Yeah, and um, and uh, so they were going from strength to strength, as it turns exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bill. Um, they went. Yeah, they they so they switched it, and everybody threw a fucking fit. Like it's just amazing when that stuff happens, and people like honestly, it becomes a thing. Now, either it was a major distraction from something political that was going on, honestly, or that's when they switched to corn syrup and then they switched back to Coke Classic, which Coke New Coke had been around so long you you wouldn't you wouldn't remember, remember really what it tasted yeah. like. And so maybe because all I remember is when I came to um, Australia and had a Coke, I went, This tastes like when I was a kid because it was still using cane sugar and yeah. not corn syrup. And that's when I went, huh, I wonder if they used new Coke to make the switch and to just pull the wool over our eyes and um so Whatever. imagine that, like, oh, Bill Cosby gave me a Coke and it tasted funny. So, uh, <laughs> and when I woke up, um, <laughs> have this, it's a new Coke. Yeah. Well, this tastes funny, Bill. I've been very grumpy lately. And I think when I when I think about all that stuff, that's probably the reason, like, my heroes are all, like, Bill Cosby is a serial rapist. Oh, my God. Um, like, there's all these little things that keep getting knocked down. 2016 killed off everybody that I've ever loved uh, celebrity-wise. Well, you're a massive Prince fan. A huge you? Prince fan. Like, ridiculously. Not a, not, not a fan, not a fanboy fan, but, like, it j- he just meant a lot to me, and his music meant a lot to me. I was going to say, because I think one of the most um, passionate I've ever seen you is when you were telling me a story about uh, seeing him perform. Yeah, 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 yeah. At I, like a private party or something. Yeah, I went to his house in L.A. Um, with uh, my friend Dane Cook. Um, 
got us in to one of Prince's after two of Prince's after Oscar parties. One was at a hotel, and the year after was at his L.A. home. Yeah, no, it was just it was just like the highlight of my life. And I'm talking about uh, including my marriage and my children being born. I, I know I'm supposed to say like that, those were the first, you know, those are the most. But yeah, but, going to hey, Prince's house, mate. I got married and had kids. Yeah, like you know, how many people? Heaps of people can say they got married and had kids. Exactly. How exactly. many people were at that party? Yeah. <laughs> Like a handful of people, man. No, it was amazing, and he put it. I've I've talked about this on podcasts before, so I won't labor the 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 story. But it was just, it was amazing, and the fact that I was there was just magical. And he put a concert on in his living room, and I was literally like, he was he was what are you a meter from me? He was two meters from me on a little stage in his living room, um, calling out celebrities that he had hidden around his house. Like literally going, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Stevie Wonder. And Stevie Wonder would come out behind like a drape. That no. you know what I mean? And it was just like, oh my word! He didn't even realize he was behind the drape. Yeah, no, Stevie thought he was at a real proper concert. <laughs> yeah. And um, no, and it was just like, and then to walk around his house, and then I passed him in the hallway after his show. Uh, Dane and I were walking down a hallway, and Prince was coming the other way. It was just us three in the hallway, and I just like, I just, I, I didn't know what else to say. But you know, regarding his show that he just put on, I went phenomenal. That's all I could muster, and he just went hmm. And looked at me and kind of smirked and walked off like Mr. Jefferson from... Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. And it was just the highlight of... I was like, oh, and I think Dane said, and I quote, things just keep getting better for Aldell Benny. Um, Because I'd like, he knew... That's why he took me instead of his girlfriend at the time. Dane knew what a (laughs) huge fan I was. His girl was pissed. Um, Because he was like, there's no question. It's Al. Al's coming to Prince's house with me. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. and like that's a good mate yeah it's a great mate like and and just especially because i had bad luck prince came to boston years before in the late 90s and um and i tried to get tickets and like i waited in line at 3 a.m and 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 by the time and and we were waiting at tower records and the guy came out there was a huge line the guy came out and went you are just like a a, this is like a movie you're having white christmases standing outside of tower records yeah and the guy came out and went um uh, when tower records opened and went i don't know what you heard, guys heard, but there are no Prince tickets here. And we were all like, what? And he went, you have to go. So we all ran down to where they were selling them. And if we had been waiting in line there, we would have got them. And I was literally three people from the window and they went, sold out and shut the window. And I was like, oh! and then to add insult you to injury, a movie. I was working at a little restaurant at the time, a family owned restaurant. And, um, and two days after the Prince concert, I was crushed that I didn't go. My boss goes, uh, the boss, Goes, yeah, she was like, um, oh, the owner of the restaurant. She was like, you should have told me. I didn't know you were a Prince fan. You should have told me. Um, we're partial. They were partners with the people who owned the, the venue that he played. Yeah, we had plenty of tickets. And, and I was like, I, 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 I. so it was like the universe just sort of going, here you go, Al. I got to meet Prince twice. I got yeah. to be in his home. I got to, you know, so it was just, yeah, yeah. That is phenomenal. And when David Bowie died, um, like I I remember when that happened, I had just downloaded his album the night before, the new album, and it had all this weird sounding music on it and whatever. And I was trying to, I was going, all right, let me give this a listen. And and then he died the next day. And it it, it really was weird, but it wasn't, um, it was shocking and it was bad. But I'd never had the same connection to Bowie that I had to Prince. And my wife and I were sitting there and I turned to her and said, I go, this is bad, but but you know you don't have to worry about me until Prince dies, and that's never going to happen. And then what was it? A few months later, oh, my wife had she woke me him. up. Yeah, she woke me up with her, and she went, "I think you need to see this." And she had her phone out, and it said Prince dead at fifty-seven. And I was just like, oh, "He was fifty-seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe he was fifty-seven. 
Um, but there were a lot of similarities too because he uh, he died from a, 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 um, a opiate overdose, and I had just gotten my hip operated on, and and he had hip problems, and I was on opiates, very strong ones that they had given me. So it was also it was this weird thing because I I listened to Prince a lot. I got sober when I was nineteen, and I basically locked myself in my room and listened to Prince until I until the desire to drink went away because. Uh, which took about a year. So that's that's why his music meant so much to me. And then this thing happened when he died. And it was kind of like tied into me sort of getting off the pills again. And, and it was just this weird sort of parallel that I was like, whoa, man. Well, that, um, yeah, that's... Um, that's he, you've got a deep connection with that. That It's funny how music can do that. Like I, I, I can still hear songs. Um, you know, you hear a song and you just, bam, you're transported to a time and a place. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man. This hasn't changed at all. That that sense memory is phenomenal. Yeah, Man. yeah, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. That's why you don't listen to music when you're like killing homeless people, because you'll hear that song later and it'll you'll bring right back to that yeah, moment. Man, I'm gonna go kill some more homeless blokes. That's how a spree starts. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't many homeless in the northern beaches, though. I'll give I'll give them that. I don't I don't think there are any actually. Yeah, I, d- yeah, I don't know. I the homeless uh, can't afford to be homeless in the northern beaches. Yeah, there's actually there's a guy here where, near near where I live. I, where I go running a few up on one of the main roads, right? Yeah. Um, there's this dude who's just sort of lives at a bus stop there. Yeah. And I always look at him and just go, What like like this is a nice enough area, but where he is is like near a big intersection. there's nothing there. Right. Like it's it's a near a big intersection. It's kinda near some industrial type area, but there's you know there's like nothing like if I personally, if I was homeless, I'd I'd probably gravitate towards somewhere somewhere a bit nicer. Like I remember a few years ago seeing a news story that a guy they'd found had been living sort of in the bushes on the cliffs at uh, South Bondi for years. Oh yeah, and then, you know he passed away, and they apparently oh yeah he lived there for years. I'm like this that's guy's the, a genius. Yeah, that's the way you do it. I, yeah. I used to say that too because in Boston, the like we were talking about, the winters are harsh. You go to Harvard Square or something, and and it would be like you know below zero Fahrenheit. And and these guys are like huddled up together, and they got sleeping bags that people gave them. And I remember me and this girl went around one time and like giving them shoes when I was like in my twenties. <sighs> Thank God that I went know. this way because they didn't have any shoes. But I remember thinking like, like if I were, and it's easy to say, but it's like just you have all the time in the world. Walk to Florida, walk <laughs> to California, like go. You know what I mean? Like what the fuck? It doesn't matter. Like I get it. People do have the, this connection, no matter where you are. You're homeless, but this is still your home, I guess, right? Yeah. So I suppose it speaks to people who are very habitual. Yeah. Like you, if you, you as, as shitty as that existence is, they know they can survive. Like you, you do right. a year doing living there. You go, okay, I can do it. Like you know, I know what to expect. Right. Yeah. From yeah. The weather. Whereas right. the, the people don't like uncertainty. I'm, right. I'm discovering, I think. But yeah, that's, that's um, probably right. Yeah, I always, yeah, I, I always think about that. I, I'm but it's fun to man. say that. It's fun to say, walk to Florida. Yeah, yeah. Stupid, dumb, homeless that's, person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to make fun of the homeless. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, uh. Oh, man. And so, you, uh, growing up in Boston, when did you start comedy? How old were you? Because you... Um, I was 18 the first time I ever did it, uh, fresh out of high school, and... Um, um, yeah, I met Dane in, in, in Boston, I mean, in, in school, in high school, and we both wanted to be comedians, so we bonded on that, and we started hanging out, and um, I was a delinquent at that time. I was doing lots of drugs and drinking and just sort of throwing it throwing it all away, and and meeting Dane sort of helped me go like, oh, there's another, like, I didn't realize that you could actually care about stuff, like, I didn't mm. know, and so we started going to, uh, 
in high school, we started going to the open mics down at uh, Catch a Rising Star in Cambridge just to watch. Um, David Cross would have his sketch group go on. Uh, they would do the open mic that David Cross would host, and then that sketch group would go on, and uh, called Cross Comedy. And we would go every week, every week, every Monday, and just watch and be like, someday, someday. And then one day, and the system was that you would sign up, and then you'd get a card in the mail that would give you your date. You'd sign up for the open mic, and then you didn't just go into Facebook and right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we, so one night Dane gets up and signs the paper, and I was like, this motherfucker, because now I have to. Like I was so scared. Yeah. Um, so him doing it made me go, fuck, all right. So I did it. We get our cards in the mail. Um, and uh, yeah, mine, uh, yeah. and then you get your card, and the, the date is like three months after you get the card. And it was like, fuck, this is happening. Um, and that was it. And uh, so my first time, I was um, uh, about a year out of high school. So all my high school friends came. And it's like like the, that story of the first time you got on a is It's a lot like the story of how some guys get drafted into the military. <laughs> I got a letter in the mail. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere in three months. Um, yeah. So my first time, because the room was packed with all my high school friends, uh, I killed. And David Cross was the MC that night. Oh, and wow. I remember he goes, "This is the next guy coming to the stage." Um, and and they, he said something because I have the videotape. I haven't watched it in years because it's on VHS. It's probably gone by now. But um, he said something that gave away that it was me. So the place went nuts. He didn't say my name yet, but he went, "This next guy, blah blah blah." Maybe he said he's from Arlington, and the place went. And he went, and like on the video, because I watched it a million times back then, like his face changed and he goes, new kids on the block, Al Del Benny. <laughs> um, and, and I just smashed it and I thought I was the shit. And I remember going up to the, uh, the manager of Catch Rising Star afterwards and going, did you watch me? And he went, yeah. And I was all like, well, how did I do? Expecting her to be like, kid, you got yeah. it. And he went, you were mean. Like he didn't even look at me. He just went, you were mean. And I was like, fuck you. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the first time, and it was like you know, and it's funny. I see younger comics, especially, especially in in Sydney. I see I see the same sort of attitude. There, there was some guy. I did your show the other week, and there was some kid there who went up, but he 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 wouldn't stop uh, talking to me and asking me questions. And and it's the first time I was I've been annoyed by someone, and it's such a long because it was like, dude, just leave me alone. Yeah. Um. But he he was fishing for that. He was, and I could tell, like, I was like, oh, he wants me to be like, yeah, you got it, kid. And, and I just went, yeah, I go, you're new. That's all. You'll be funny. Like, just keep doing it. Like, you're just, you're not, you're very, very new. And, and he, that wasn't good enough for him. But I was like, I'm just going to be honest with this kid. And it was kind of fun to see him in that situation. But I thought the best thing I can do is be honest and not be a dick. I wasn't like, you were mean and just blew him off. But I, just to be like, yeah, you have all the fundamentals, but you just need to keep getting on stage for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but he would not stop talking to me. Um, and you know who I'm talking yep. about. Yep. And yeah. uh, recognize that behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just a lovely guy. But yeah, I had that same thought during that. It was like, okay, this is just, this is, and you, because you do, you see, because um, it does look like, in some ways, I compare it to a magic trick. Like it does look like something magic. Yeah. And when you first start, you have a good set and you feel like it's a good set and you don't you don't understand how like i i always feel like i've um i've peaked yeah you know what i mean like you do this is like you know, i feel okay, that well, about i you feel too. like that's <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah if only it was recently that's the <laughs> that's the problem yeah but no but like you always feel like i was 
It's like I remember Chris Winehouse said to me one time. He said his theory is every about every four years you get twice as good as a comic. Right? You look back yeah. four years before and you go, "Wow, I'm." Yeah. You just it's. He said it's amazing how much better you are. Yeah. When you look back, and I remember at the time thinking, "Well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know." And you just don't picture what would be different to make right. to make you better. And then now you look back, or right, and think I think it's, it's just experience. Is. I think like there are certain nights. Where like for instance I did this benefit the other night um, last last night night before last um, and it's like um, you know there are there are a tons of comics who would have done as good as me or better at this benefit but but only because I'm not used to doing these type of shows you know what I mean where yeah. there's these banquet tables and whatever so and and I knew I couldn't just go out and spew my anger this wasn't the venue for that you know I'll do that at a club I'll do that wherever but this isn't the time nor place. So I was trying to scale that back a bit. Um, but you take those comics that would have done better than me at that venue and put them in a rough pub and I'll smash it and they'll run screaming. And it's just like, it's just, it's, it's like, it's experience. And it's just like, Oh, like I have enough experience now where I can hold my own at this benefit. I didn't kill. What was weird though, is everyone came up to me afterwards and told me how much they loved me in the audience. And I went, well, fucking laugh next time. Yeah. This is, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a this is the thing. Sometimes at those gigs, like where where it's a it's those weird benefit gigs. Yeah, you you do as a comic, you have to adjust your audience reaction meter, right? Because what is you killing doesn't sound like you killing at, at this at place. Usual... Yeah, because they're all stuffed. They've just had a three course meal. So did I. The guy you know asked me to partake. Um, Only so. comics can whinge about that. When you were telling me beforehand, oh, you had to sit and have dinner, I was like, oh, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> I know. But to most people listening, they'd be like, what, you got free dinner? Great yeah, food. Yeah. You got to sit and have a good time. And then you just but had to get up and get speak. It. It's not a part of the process. I need no. to sit in a green room with other comics, talk talk shit, say awful, awful things that we all laugh at, and just get in that mode. And it's actually, it's better if I'm hungry. Like, I, I've learned that. Like, if I have a gig, I, I won't eat past 6 p.m., because mm. I need to get up there and be like, ah, have a little low blood sugar, get a little. Uh, yeah, you um, need to be a little on edge. Yeah, that's just my process because I need to. Um, yeah, I, I need to be like a bit of a, a wild animal up there. Well, that's a, I'm the I'm the same. Like I find if I'm too relaxed before a gig, I have a lot of trouble. I try and like I'll often try and psych myself. Like if I know if I'm doing a gig, I know real well. Yeah, and I I'm too rela- I feel like I'm too relaxed beforehand. I will try and psych myself out a little bit just to get. A little bit of adrenaline going. Yeah. If I'm not, I find I'm like, oh, I don't know, I'm like sluggish, like, you know, I'm wading through honey. Like, it's not, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so sometimes I'll just go out and, and that's when I try and put myself, you know, a little out of my depth in terms of just going to the audience and go, okay, well, let's, let's right. try and start something here and, and make sure that I'm far enough from a, a bit in what we're talking about that I'm, I feel like the net's a little too far away. Yeah. Just so to cut the adrenaline run. kicks in. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, sometimes at these benefit gigs like i you try to do that but and also i sometimes try to rely on crowd response where i'll go i'm not feeling it but once i get up there but at these type of gigs where yeah you can't rely on that you can't rely on that so it's like oh boy um it's just an interesting thing so now i know for sure i've always known it i've said this to you before the podcast i've always known it but i locked it in the other night where like yeah i don't sit and have dinner and watch the night unfold like tell me what time the show is i'll be there 30 minutes before that, I'm going to do my show and I'm going to get the hell out of there. Like, I'm not a part of this. I am working. I get, yeah, I get to, I don't like spending too much time with the audience before a show because yeah. I just, I just sit there and I look and like, I start to like look at the people and go, ah, oh, they're not going to find 
Exactly. And, and, and I and, start to change. And what these I'm lovely kids went up, these teenagers went up and sang a cappella songs. And, and the first few songs they oh, sang were Jesus opener. songs. Right. Well, that's what I said. I, I did that bit and it got, a, it got a very mediocre response. And I went, normally, uh. I go, normally that's a big response, but you know, I'm in a room full of singers. So what do I expect? Um, and then I made fun of a song that they sang. But um, no, my heart sank because they were up there literally singing the Lord's Prayer. Like, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And I just went, oh. But it turns out it wasn't that type of thing. Those are just the songs they chose to sing. But I thought, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. Um, and if I had not seen that, I wouldn't have had to go through all that emotional shit. I just would have shown up and done it. Because in a weird way, the way I approach my comedy, you might have noticed this. I don't know if it comes across. In a weird way... I feel like I don't feel like this is what comedy is. I feel like this is my way of doing it. It's me versus them. It's me against them. I'm going to get you before you get me. By getting them, it means you're going to laugh before, you know what I mean? And, and and I don't know what that is, but that's the way I think of it. And 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 I just that's why I come out swinging because I'm like it's me versus you and I'm not going down, you are. Do you think that's to do with what where you started? Maybe? I think it is. I think I started in a lot of rough rooms, and I'm grateful for it. Um, we started, yeah, we started in pubs where no one wanted us there. Um, you know, Boston, it's it's a rough city, and the it's a, it's it's like Australia in the sense that um, the audience fancy themselves as funny as the comics, and sometimes they can be. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, you know, hecklers can sometimes come out with great ones. You, you just have to go, fuck, that was good. Yeah, like, good exactly. on you. Um, and Australia has that too, where the you know you go to some rooms and the audience is, they're, they're sharp. They're not, they're not, they're not sitting at you know they're not taking uh, everything you say, just taking it. They're they're thinking on their feet too. Um, so yeah, it's it's it is like that. We used to call them pirates dens. Like oh, this room's a pirates den because everyone's just you have to you have to get their attention. They're not giving it to you. Yeah, you literally have to go up there and go list. Hey hey, fuck faces, listen to me, and then you have to keep their attention. Um, so yeah, you've, that's, you've done the Oriental in Newcastle, haven't you? Yeah, and then I'll never do it again because it's not worth it. Um, <laughs> there's nothing redeeming about that room. I went up all fat, dumb, and happy. I, I went up. I just moved here, and and I hadn't done a room like that in years. And about halfway, maybe a third into my act, I went, oh, oh, I misjudged this room. I see what it is. There were a few people that were listening, but no one else gave a fuck. And it was a free night and yeah. the comedy sort of imposed on them. But I didn't know any of that. I went up going, hey, you know. See, that went through a phase where there was getting a regular comedy savvy crowd. Yeah. And then you'd get the odd mix. So it, the mix of that room was always important. Yeah. And some nights though, you know, like it's one of those places where you talk about getting their attention and holding it. Yeah. If you move to something that, they went, you just heard the volume go up. Oh, right. It was amazing. Right. Yeah, I just did a room out in um, uh, Bankstown, um, and it was another pub situation. And, like, I'm getting to the point in my career where it's like, I don't... And, and I did move here, so I do sort of have to... Like, I reset a bit, so I'm doing these gigs again that I wouldn't normally have to I do. I think I know the gig you did. Yeah, and, and, like... And it was the situation where I know what I have to do here, but I just don't want to do it. I want to yeah. do my jokes, but I know that's not going to fucking hold their attention. I just had to go up and bash the front row for 30 minutes, and they loved it. But I, I And I left there just feeling dirty. I was like, ugh. No, um, I think, too, sometimes, like, like I, I don't know about you, but like it's good to have the ability to do all the different things. Yeah. But once you know you can do something, and it's like, you know you can do that to survive a gig. Yeah. But 
that's not it's not my first choice yeah it's not your first choice and it's not what you got in it to do so right. it's, it's a survival skill that's great to have when you find yourself in that situation yeah but you're not growing you're not exactly anything new so you feel like I, I don't know like so you how long have you been going now um well i started um it's been over a span of about 25 years but i took breaks in there because you know it's hard working 20 minutes a night yeah 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 no but it because it's it's a self-driven yeah no thing and, and i just you know i'm a mental so you know i've had times in my life where i couldn't leave my apartment i i, I have issues so um so I would quit, and and I'm grateful, you know, because that's I met my wife during one of my quit periods in New York. I started doing theater instead of comedy, and um, that's how I met my wife. But yeah, so I think all up, so out of the 25 years, I'd say 20 years probably, um, and out of those 20, it's probably 15 of like full on, you know, like full on, like I'm giving this everything I have, um, yeah. And do you, do you feel like well, just back to the idea of improving, just constantly improving? Yeah. Do you feel like you're improved? Like, do you feel like you're a better comic now than you were, say, five years ago? I don't know. I I, don't, I honestly don't know. I think I've adapted to Australia. I, I found a tape of myself on the first. Um, it's on Facebook. I was just looking through my old videos, um, and somebody. It, it's like the professional cut of the first stadium I ever did on tour with Dane, and um, and I went, oh fuck, I was tight. Like, I was a lot tighter then than I am now. I'm very loose now. I kind of go up and just sort of piece it together as I go. Mm. But this, I mean, obviously, I was playing a stadium, so, like, the adrenaline locks you in. You're, you're, and I was, and it was a time in my life where I was also uh, at the Laugh Factory, you know, doing eight or nine shows a week. So I was like, but I, I, I was well lubed. Um, and it threw me a little bit because I was like, ah, I think I might have been better then. But better in that sense, better yeah. in the sense of like technically. Just boom, boom, boom. Everything slid into everything else. Um, I think now what I'm doing is uh, I'm a different person. And I'm not even sure. I think as a comic, I run into this thing where I'm like, I'm not really sure who I am right now. Yeah. So my act fluctuates because it's like, all right, let me go up and find out what I want to talk about and what I want to say about the things I want to talk about. And then I lock that in for like a year and just keep pounding that and shine that up real nice. But um, But I'm in that phase now where I'm like, God, yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not into what I was talking about two years ago or a year ago, so I'm figuring out. So yeah, that's where I'm at, and I feel like um, I just have to uh, like honor that process and go like, all right, this is what I'm doing. See, but even even the fact that you're aware of that process, yeah, is probably speaks to the the learning. Like, because not all of it's you know learning. Like, oh, I can do this and that on stage. Some of it's learning about how you how your brain works, how your um, process works basically yeah I, I think it's like it's once you figure out how you it's like i just had to figure out w what i did on stage and then i can and then i can talk about almost anything yeah. you know what i mean it's like all right well how do i talk about this yeah how do you, you know? feed that through the machine yeah yeah then use your brain that spits out funny at the other end yeah and, and all the only thing i have going for me that uh, uh say a more inexperienced comic doesn't have is that i just have the confidence to stand there not knowing what i'm saying really uh confident that it's going to work out yeah like don't like i'm going to be funny no matter what it might not be the tightest set it might not be whatever but you guys are going to enjoy it and like yeah yeah based on the and that's based on the the experience like yeah you, that's all because i've had come especially since i moved here a lot of comics will come to me and go oh my god it's just so and i go uh eh. 
I'm j- I've just been doing it a lot longer than you. Like that's yeah. all. Like that's the only difference is I've been doing it for a long. I'm the oldest vampire. <laughs> that's it. You know what I mean? See, I'm obsessed with, and I've talked about this on a couple of the other episodes. I'm obsessed with gears at the moment, having different gears for gears. like gears. So, as I, with an R, a, yeah, it's a phrase. <laughs> it's a phrase that um, gears that um, that um, who was Mick Meredith actually? Yeah. The first time I'd ever heard anyone explain it like this was to, it was him. He he just got off a cruise ship, yeah, and he was telling <laughs> me about how it was all the old ducks, the you know the bowling set, and I yeah. said, oh, how'd that go? He goes, oh, don't worry, Barney, I've got gears. Yeah, yeah. Just that ability to just whatever's in front of you, just okay. Let's do this a little bit different and right, right. Which is a great skill to have. Some would argue that like, fuck that. I just do what I do, Mm. and um, which is why I was. I like that as well. That I like that. You know, but but you don't always have that luxury, and especially I made the decision to move to Australia. It's like, yeah, I need gears because people aren't here. They didn't come here to see me. I was put in front of them. Yeah, it's one thing if like, oh, you're here to see me. This is what I do. But it's another thing to be put in a situation where it's like, okay, well, I, I kind of have to cater to you guys a little bit. Um, yeah. See, when I've seen you, when I've seen you do it, like I, I think of you as having different gears, but yeah. you're still very out. Yeah. In the way you do it, like I think that's the key too. Is you right. don't want to, you don't want to totally tailor to oh this audience like this, so I'm going to do this. So I'm going to do Bob Hope. Yeah. 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 You just you do what you do, but you just okay. Skew let's, it. Yeah. They, you know, they might need a little more easing into this, or right. they, you know, yeah. play up this angle. Like yeah. you know, I'm going to spit on it before I jam it in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like a gentleman. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mate, that might be a perfect way to go out for this <laughs> this episode. <laughs> Thanks Perfect. very much. Uh, there's heaps more I want to uh, ask you, so we'll get you back at some stage all if right. you're willing to drive all the way out again. Yeah, I'll do it. Excellent. All right, Aldo Bunny. Do you actually before we go? Do you, is there anything you want to plug? Any <laughs> you uh, you told me you're on um, you're just for laughs uh, episode aired last night, and you picked up uh, a whole bunch. And I picked followers. up eleven followers on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. If you have if you have Foxtel on the Comedy Channel, I'm sure they're going to re-air it. Um, just the Just for Laugh Sydney thing that was at the Opera House. Um, I'm on it. My episode includes Dave Hughes, Matt O'Kine, and uh, some puppet, um, Randy. <laughs> which <laughs> I just I didn't know there was a puppet. Um, so yeah, so that's that. Uh, you know, and whatever. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, and um, and um, that's it. You don't want to plug the Twitter Facebook handles? Al Del Benny. A-L-D-E-L-B-E-N-E. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Aldel Benny, thank you very much it's for coming out. It's been a pleasure, out. man. Cheers. All right. Bye. Bye.